You know, 1966. 79 episodes, about 30 good ones. Oh, really? I've done too many things to remember one particular TV series. Come on, remember that episode where you got high on spores and smacked Kirk around? No. Perhaps you're thinking of my one-man show about Vincent Van Spock. I, I, I mean Van Gogh. Damn! Aha! You can't escape it! Hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast from a non-Trekkie perspective. We are back with another episode of On Screen, the strand of our podcast, where we look at an episode of an iconic television show guest starring a member of Star Trek alumni in a main support role. But this episode, this episode actually features multiple Star Trek alumni. In fact, it features almost all of the Star Trek original series almost. main cast. Almost. <laughs> one was dead. One refused to fucking turn up. It is, of course, where no fan has gone before. The episode of Futurama where they brought back the original series cast into the show. That is what we are covering today. I am joined by my usual co-host, Matt Brothers. Good news, everyone. And Paul Wilson-Morris. I say, you should introduce you as Futurama expert, <laughs> Matthew Brothers. Yeah, the man who has not been invited on Slamcast, but is here today <laughs> to talk Futurama, who is one of the biggest Futurama Yes, fans I was really hoping I wouldn't be lapsed fan, as it has been a while since I've seen it. And it, like classic Simpsons, watching this, it's just like, I know except every frame that's coming yeah. after this. Every line, every frame, it all comes flooding back. Uh, and I'm Paul, and I, I've seen Futurama before. <laughs> yeah, so that's something we should talk about straight away because obviously if you previous, <laughs> previous TV shows we've talked about on this are Miami Vice and Columbo. Mm -hmm. So this is the third episode of On Screen. So let's talk about our own histories with Futurama. Matt? Well, as with every human being growing up in the 90s, Simpsons was everywhere. Big part of my life. And then I remember very vividly the news that Matt Groening had a new show coming. And I remember the trailers hitting Sky One all the time, because that's where it was coming. And we still had Sky at that point. Well, NTL, whatever the weird thing Before was. Before they cut your electricity off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I remember being very obsessed with it. I remember vividly watching the pilot as it aired. I remember being sat on the floor like in front of the TV. I would have been like 12 or 13. Um, just absolutely... You had no chairs. They'd be... Exactly. They've all gone. But we kept the Sky just for <laughs> this. Um, and then just being a massive fan right out of the gate. And I remember... Through, this was like halfway through secondary school. And you may remember, Paul, I had loads of like Futurama st like stickers like all over my notebooks and T-shirts. Where did these come from, these stickers? Where did you obtain them? I have no was idea. It, was that a Panini album? Like but I was, I was this massive fan. And then the, the original first four series, before it got cancelled for the first time, was just sort of wall to wall gold. And the DVD sets that came out were brilliant. I remember they being they were very chunky, and you could when place. They dated the Simpsons sets, didn't they? So I presume yeah, because be Simpsons out. were very slow to get on DVD, but yeah. these were coming out pretty regularly, and you could you could put all the DVD cases together, and it would create a massive mural. That was cool. But I remember going through them all and watching them multiple multiple times, and doing every single episode of the commentaries as well. And yeah, I wish there was a lot of tidbits from those, but that was way back when it came out. Fuck, the, the time when we had to watch commentaries. Oh my yeah. god, those were the days. Uh, Matt, did you have anybody at school that you were able to share this love with? Because like, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I don't know. Like I, th- I thought maybe this was my. You were keeping Trek to yourself at the time. Uh, yeah, I, I think, think so. I was yeah. semi keeping this to myself. Well, I don't usually wear Trek stickers on my lunchbox. No, I don't know. This was you know a new show, and it felt like there wasn't that other many people watching it, or they were like, you know, what this isn't The Simpsons. What is this? And I just kind of really took to it because I was a big sci-fi guy. Anyway, obviously not enough for Trek at school. But... Well, I think this is the thing. I think we need to remember that there was a time where sci-fi was a bad word. Like, the idea of sci-fi was just, like, fucking nerd. Like, you could get battered. Like, uh, yeah. like it's not good. Like, you know, and so that's the thing. If anyone would be like, oh, yeah, what's show for you trying? Oh, yeah, isn't that, like, Simpsons, well, but sci-fi, you fucking nerd! I think it's like, this yeah. weird thing where, like, obviously by this point, we had probably seen every single Simpsons episode up to that point just through terrestrial airing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, however that happened, it definitely happened. But then this being able to be on the ground floor and watch a week by week and every new one coming in. Well, this is a funny thing. You know, we often talk about how we look back at these Star Trek episodes and we see that it was actually like years between the US airing and the UK airing. Simpsons is a crazy fucking one because that debuted in America. The, The series, the shorts debuted in like 1987 on the Tracy Altman show. But the Simpsons the series debuted in 1989 in America. Now, I think by like 1990, it was showing on Sky in the UK. But in terms of terrestrial TV, so we remember that back in the day, not many people had Sky. Sky was for, you know, richer households. And most of us just had terrestrial. Simpsons debuted on terrestrial TV in 1996. Really? Seven years after its debut in the US. Remember the good old days when entertainment was bland and inoffensive? Well, it's not anymore. Ooh, baby. <gasps> miracle breakthrough? There's been a miracle breakthrough? You'd better believe it. It's the television event of the year. All right! Yes, yes! The Simpsons have landed. They saw our lives and put it right up on screen. Right here on BBC One. You shouldn't watch that other channel. Saturdays at 5.30. How can one little insulated wire bring so much happiness? Nearly out of its good phase, perhaps. Yeah, literally. That's (laughs) the crazy... Yeah, season one, it started running on Saturday nights because later on, obviously, when we think of Simpsons in the UK, I think we think of actually randomly is part of that block on BBC Two where they would show, like, Star Trek Next Generation, their Simpsons, maybe a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, that kind of running time. Whereas it started debuting on Saturday nights, prime time, on BBC One, they started showing the first season in 1996, and it was a huge event of, oh wow, The Simpsons has come to the BBC, has now arrived on Treasure TV, and all this phenomena, which everyone is aware of, but hasn't seen in the UK, because only people with Sky have seen it, is arriving, and that seems insane to me. And of course, it was the first Maybe. time I was watching it properly. Maybe that's how we did see them all, because maybe they just blanket showed those first six or seven seasons, like, together. Well, I, I, I had Sky, so I was, like, familiar with Simpsons before, but Sky had, like, we had lapsed on our Sky subscriptions yeah. by the time Futurama became, like, a thing. I think I would literally... I think that's airing. when I got it for yeah, a short so you, Yeah, I lost it, you got it. I think that's that passing, like, Ships in the Night, is that I didn't kind of get... I would have watched it, I'm sure of it, but I think... I was in a situation where I like was having my friends, my dad's friend, take me Voyager 
to continue watching that show. So that was, oh, yeah. I think there was only so many favours you can call in. <laughs> so he's taping you every episode of Voyager, you ran out of credit quite quickly. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was, I guess we had to pick our battles during that time. Yeah, well, I had a mate at school who used to take me Buffy and Angel yeah. when that started showing on oh, Sky. So just meet him in the alleyway out the back and he's got the yeah. raincoat on. Like, Literally every week it would be in school, it would be like, just come round this corner and yeah, be like, uh, here's the VHS tape. Well, then I'm going to say Future Over Matt, Voyager for me and Buffy was your yeah. show that yeah. you were like you mm. know uh, adhering to I can't see. but who who did you share that with the teachers uh, it was a guy called Rob in my school yeah and yeah we were both Buffy fans yeah and we talked about Buffy and when it moved to Sky what do you call Buffy fans like they're like like red coats or whatever from Firefly or is it uh, uh, Weedon Easters maybe Easter. <laughs> <laughs> I've just made That's that up yeah. But yeah 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 <laughs> yeah no long look we've now renounced that name since yeah. Josh Weedon's revelation Buffers yeah, Buffers, yeah. Um, literally I was obviously it showed the first like two seasons of Buffy on like BBC and I got really into it then and absolutely loving it and then it fucking dis- like a lot of fucking stuff BBC were not good at holding on to their licences because Buffy 24 mm-hmm. yeah, like yeah. they showed the first couple of seasons and then they'd fucking lose them to Sky with their fucking money bags like come along like yeah. nick the licence yeah you had to wait for uh, DVD for 24 like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah I was talking about this earlier like 24 season 3 DVD I bought on the day like yeah, it came out or whatever and literally Buffy was one of those where I watched the first two seasons got completely addicted to it absolutely loved it and then found out my mate Rob had Sky and he <laughs> taped every episode anyway, I think. And he was just like, oh, I can lend you the video So tapes. some teacher going like, oi, boys, what are you dealing drugs here? It's like, uh, yeah, yeah we are. Don't, don't <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're actually doing and it. I was just like, yes, I borrowed season three of him and then started borrowing when Angel came out. I was like, oh, Angel is now a thing as well. And obviously I hadn't even seen that. And it was just, but it was the fact that it was Buffy connected and he was just like, I remember him watching, obviously he would get to watch it first. And this before those days that you could go online and see like reviews of like episodes. Yeah. Well, I mean, you probably could, but not like, you know, as well known. And like he, he was like turning around to me going, Angels, like even better than Buffy, you gotta fucking check out. Like, it's amazing. Like, I must have. Uh, it. I was just like, what? And like, yeah, she, like, yeah. And then he's lending me, like, the fucking tapes. I remember it would be a case if he would usually lend them to me on, like, a Friday. And then I'd go home on Friday night at school, yeah. get home and be like, oh, school's fucking done. It's Buffy and Angel time. Like, I literally do a double bill of the latest Buffy and the latest Angel. Oh, my God. What heady days. Well, I think that's it. Well, we've established like, you're the only one of us to have ever share your love of your show with somebody. I, I, I share guess, my pain. Yeah. I, I, I just think the only time I got to share Voyager with anybody was when The Rock appeared as, as guest star, and then we had yourself and uh, Paul Cooper, like, you know, yeah, suddenly interested in it. Like, oh, I, the only episode of Voyager I'm loving we're watching. Big one. WWF heads around yeah. the same time. And you were like, yeah, guys, it's the only episode I've watched as well. <laughs> I just split this one. It's got The Rock in it. I know him. That's we've established our future Yeah. But I must have, um, you know, got you into it through. That's being episode. friends in school. That that episode was you. You like. I think you're gonna like this one. I'm pretty sure where no fan had gone before was like he's gonna love this. Yeah, I mean, and I'm pretty maybe, sure actually. after that one, like I was like, great. I got the dynamics of like Leela and uh, Fry, and you know, I love the professor. And I think you know, and, and Koiberg. Is it Koiberg? Zoidberg. Zoidberg. Koiberg. Koiberg. Hooray for me! Hooray for Zoidberg! Yeah, I think I went back and maybe borrowed some of the sets off you after that. Yeah. And started doing some episodes like properly. I think I'd definitely seen the pilot somehow 
because I remember the kind of below New York City and the kind of like yeah. mutant population. Because it was also a big deal because whereas The Simpsons is just, it's not a story, it's like, you know, concept and a very sitcom. Futurama was like, this pilot is setting up a story yeah. and it's such a well, well-crafted pilot episode. Well, also we should point out that unlike The Simpsons, which took seven years to fucking reach terrestrial TVs, Whereas uh, Futurama did debut on Sky in the UK, it very quickly came to Channel 4. Yes. Um, in yeah. the UK. So I remember, randomly, the day when Futurama debuted on Channel 4 because it was, like, end of October. And, like, randomly, for some reason, on the day it debuted, I decided to... You know when we obviously grew up by the sea yeah. and there's, like, they put red flags out if it was really dangerous? Yeah. And I was at the seaside and I decided for some reason there were red flags out it was really really light stormy and I saw I'm going to leap in the sea I remember Futurama's I was like Futurama's debuting this night I'm going to leap in the sea do that I'm going to kill I'll, myself the and, then, and then I'll go back if I survive I'll go back and watch Futurama and so I literally like just tore off my clothes leapt in the sea the only people in there were surfers right and I was like out of the way surfers like she like going out and literally the sea just fucking destroyed me it was really fucking cold just almost died and then i was like oh that was bracing now futurama and i think they had an entire night on channel four like crafted around the futurama debut Right. Like it was a big deal because I think Channel Four, like, oh, we've got it because you know I think they've they've got it. Over well, they got Simpsons soon. eventually, and it was a big thing. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, they got Simpsons eventually. And the thing is, I'd already actually seen an episode of Futurama before because when I was in the States, I was in New York in 1999, and there was the second or third episode of Futurama on TV at that time, and I watched it on a hotel and I remember it was the episode specifically because they kept showing a trailer for it and the trailer was So what do you think of that guy by the bar? I don't know. Maybe. Forget it. He's gay. What? How can you tell? I just know these things. I've got what they call gaydar. And for so when I was a kid, hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so you like, yeah. And I remember watching that going, oh my God, I'm getting a seat. Well, it's because like, he gets the giant light antenna out. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so it's a little and, uh, So I, yeah, I definitely liked Futurama right away. But I must say the first season when I watched it on Channel 4, I enjoyed it, but I wasn't blown away. And I certainly didn't explore further. Like, I didn't keep watching it. I think maybe Channel 4 just showed the first season and then gave it up or whatever <laughs> like that. And I didn't really truly get into Futurama until, again... Matt lent me the box sets. Mm. Matt lent me the box sets at some point. I literally like fucking swallowed season two, three, and four. Yeah, and uh, all, they've all all those four first seasons. They've all got yeah. five star episodes in. But the, the, be great. the beginning, the first few of season three is maybe at its peak because in a row you've got Amazon Women in the Mood. Leela, I'm through making fun of women. Now I want them to help me. Should we do something? There's no hurry. Yes, a little tighter. Tighter. Perhaps a hard spanking is in order. Too hard! Men strange, you have them on your planet? I'm afraid so. Parasites lost. Very quiet. We're in the ear. Okay, Professor. What? Tell the two centers and luck of the Fryerish, which are all like five stars. Son, I'm naming you Philip J. Fry in honor of my little brother, who I miss every day. I love you, Philip. 
and I always will. Here lies Philip J. Fry, named for his uncle, to carry on his spirit. Hey, Garrett! I got the clover, plus his wedding ring! Sorry, ladies, I'm ticking. Those first four seasons, when you watch them again, I mean, up until when it got originally cancelled, it's a family guy thing, where basically it should have stayed cancelled. Four gold seasons, absolutely amazing. And of course... This episode is from that fourth season mm -hmm. where no fan has gone before. 21st of April 2002 is when it originally debuted in the US. Written by David A. Goodman. This is the only episode of Futurama he ever wrote. Hmm. Uh, he was an actual legitimate writer for Star Trek and wrote four episodes of Star Trek Enterprise, hmm. including Judgment, which was directed by James L. Conway, previous guest on this show. But he also wrote for Family Guy... Uh, and also for the Orville as well. I so, would love uh, if we yeah. could talk to him. He'd be a great guest. Yeah, he would be. He does appear <laughs> on the Roddenberry Vault, oh. uh, which, of course, was created by Roger Lay Jr., another previous guest on the show. So he is very much... I think he was given this episode to write because they're like, you are like the Star Trek expert. Like, we've got to get you on. Directed by uh, Patty Shinagar. Uh, who directed two episodes of Futurama and some other <coughs> cartoons and such. Uh, apparently, she received a lot of jealousy from her co-workers of getting to direct this episode. And I can see why, because, I mean, it is a, is a Futurama classic. And, you know, if you're a Star Trek fan, we have absolute Trek connections galore. We've got William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, Walter Koning, George Takei, and Michelle Nichols, all from the original series crew, as well as Jonathan Frakes. Yeah. The only holdouts in the original series crew are DeForest Kelly, who was dead. That's why he was holding out. Uh, but he does appear here as like a cartoon version. He just doesn't speak. Yeah, he's part of the episode. He's just yeah, yeah. exactly. And James Doohan, who apparently, when he was offered the uh, episode, his agent said, no way. And, then, and in the commentary they said, this episode, which I have listened to, I said no would be fine. Like, you know, just like, but no way. Like, <laughs> Well, I think the idea is what's, what's kind of been boiled is that the reason he wouldn't do it was because of Shatner, because he had a problem with Shatner. Who didn't? Yeah, well, exactly. That's the thing. I mean, we've all seen... Well, Nimoy was the only one who didn't, really, because he's like, yes. he just got the measure of him. Like, and I think he was an intellect that could just deal with Shatner's ego and like... Yeah. He, he knew that his Spock was basically on equal standing with Kirk in terms of, like, the pop culture crossover. Yeah. The show wouldn't work without either of them. Yes. Like, yeah. Well, like we were talking about in terms of, you know, Spock dying, of, you have to bring him back. Because yeah. it just doesn't work without Spock. And Shatner yeah. and Nimoy recorded together. So. That's what I love about this show, is that yeah. they, they don't, that's not really standard for any, like, recording no. or animation. But I imagine the other cast probably just did their bits on their own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Shatner wrote an entire book about his friendship with Leonard yeah. Nimoy, of course. I like that also that the art imitates life situation where behind the scenes of this episode, and I remember I remember the, the commentary for this where they talk about like how they, the, the supporting players were jockeying for lines. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, still like that, like, you wow. know, basically trying to get more like screen time because that's just what they've been trained to do or like what they had to do because it's been like a real cutthroat vibe for them on the original series. Yeah. I feel like, this episode does a great job of making sure everybody gets their moment in the sun. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And more, if, more so than Star Trek did. <laughs> yeah, everyone gets funny lines. 
Um, Matt, I was going to say, have you got like a plot description in this episode? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, in this episode, video stores still exist in the year 2002. Um, <laughs> so they're at a video store looking to rent they some movies. Come back. I mean, yeah. uh, Netflix brings Retro. back Blockbusters, like uh, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a hilarious sitcom. And, uh, and, and Fry finds out, of course, that Star Trek has been banned. You know, it's quite a reflection of the way fan culture has gone on. But in this, you know, back in 2002 or whenever... They said, yeah, the fan culture around Star Trek got so out of control, they're starting religions and just getting way too much. They banned it all, threw it all, threw all the nerds into the volcano. A death befitting a virgin. Death by volcano. And then, like, jettisoned all the tapes into space. And everybody but Nimoy flew off as well. And so Fry takes Nimoy and Bender and Leela to go off and find these tapes. And then they get abducted down and crash onto a planet, Omega-3, um, where Melvar... A very nerdy, sentient cloud creature has re-given the Star Trek actors their bodies and eternal life so he can reenact uh, fan scripts, conventions and trivia game shows. And uh, they get entrapped by him and then have to fight to the death and eventually work together to escape. And, you know, you find out that Melvar's a giant nerd living in his space basement, basically. <laughs> well, um, yeah, we should put out before this point, all of the Star Trek cast are just disembodied heads in, like, bowls, aren't they? Mm -hmm. like, uh, yeah. And the whole thing with with, I mean, I love the pettiness of, of the guys behind this. When they couldn't get Doohan back, they replaced him with a character called Welshie instead, who gets unceremoniously murdered right at the start. Which I'm pretty sure was referenced by both Dan Thomas and Dean Burnett, previous guests on the show, <laughs> who were both Welsh. Welshie. I'm pretty sure they mentioned Welshie. And yeah, the original title for this episode was We Got Everybody But Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> and I was wondering, actually, had Doohan joined in on this. Would this have been the last time all the cast outside DeForest Kelly were yes. in a thing together? Yes. I would say so. Yeah. yeah. It probably yeah. still yeah. is for all the rest that are yeah. in there, right? Well, I'm kind of almost surprised that they didn't feature him in some degree with Ivor. So, because, of course, in The Simpsons, they do the Star Trek parody, like Star Trek 12, So Very Tired. Yeah. And then you've got Scotty character, who's now too fat to reach the control panels. Yeah. Uh, I was surprised it didn't feature something like yeah, that. Yeah, and we've also done Loaded Weapon 1 on the pod, haven't we? What's that? We've done Loaded Weapon 1, We've Web done Loaded Weapon 1, Which yeah. contains a James Doohan cameo in a William Shatner film. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. clearly the beef is up and down. And they also appeared together for generations a year later. Well, I suppose so, he isn't with Shatner in Loaded Weapon. Well, he, he wouldn't have been with him for this either. Yes, that's true. That's <laughs> true. That's true. That's true. It does seem weird, doesn't it? It I've... doesn't make sense. Like, you know, you've got everybody else signed up. It just for, just for a good sport. Like, I mean, he did retire from a bit like maybe a year or so before he did pass away. Mm. But this was this was definitely before that, like maybe six years before he actually But passed. eight years between Generations This, do you think that, because uh, obviously Shatner would have worked closely with him on Generations, do you think he pissed him off on Generations so no, much? I don't think, like, I don't, barely, that was a barely a couple of days shooting, I think, like, not enough mm. time. Is it enough? Enough, like, he's no, sitting next to him know. the whole time. I'm he's trying to think like, about where Shatner was at this point, because 2002, exactly. he's still two years out from getting... Uh, Boston Legal. Legal. Yeah. So he's had the Shatner Renaissance, like where in terms of he started to kind of like go into this next phase of his career where it's yeah. like takes he's building a persona around 
William Shatner and, you know, using his... Mm-hmm. The idea of William Shatner mm-hmm. as his calling card. As seen in 2002's Showtime. Well, yeah, because yeah, it's the perfect time for me to do what the actors featured in this episode were doing uh, while they were also recording their lines for Where No Fans Gone Before. So in 2002, Shatner was actually probably the busiest of all the people who appeared in this. Where Nothing's he, changed. He directed <laughs> Groom Lake. Which looks well, shit. We mean- he was also in Showtime, which we've covered on this podcast with Boyd Hilton, which previous he guest. Is- the best thing in. He is the it? best thing in, yeah. He was also in American Psycho 2. Amazing. This year. But Nimoy and Koning didn't do anything else in this year. No Time Machine commercials? Well, I mean, maybe, but with nothing. With a time machine. Nothing proper TV or film. Space? We've been there. Time. That's the new frontier. Physically traveling through time isn't possible. But with a time machine from Time Computers, you can go into the future. Imagine a whole book encyclopedia or even a movie on a single disc. And the internet is changing the way the next generation think. From looking at tomorrow's weather to banking and shopping. From here we can see a billion years into the past. With a time machine, you can see into the future. Why buy an ordinary PC when you can buy a time machine from Time Computers? George Takei did a lot of voice work this year because not only was he in Futurama, he was a voice in one episode of Samurai Jack where he essayed the role of warrior number four. <laughs> and he was also in one episode of the Jackie Chan Adventures hey. as High Mystic. Nichelle Nichols was in Cooper Gooding Jr. classic Snow Dogs. <laughs> Uh, which I didn't know this, but features one of which the... Which is he play a radio operator? Uh, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> but it features one of the final screen performances by James Coburn. Yeah. It's literally his last year acting, yeah, 2002. Like, well, he went, does... on a, went on a winner there, didn't he? Yeah, uh, he played Thunder Jack. He did have the Oscar at that point, though. So yeah, not for Thunder Jack. No. <laughs> yeah. And of course, Franks had a big year this year, because not only is he in Star Trek Nemesis... Yeah. But he also directed Clockstoppers uh, in this year. The film that's about kind of like teenage, they can literally stop time. You mean Bernard's watched the movie? Yeah, 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 basically. Uh, Which I always watch if you're in America. Was a fascinating concept. In Zach's world, things didn't move fast enough. That's the car I want, Dad. When something's right, you gotta close your eyes, grit your teeth, and hang on. Until he discovered... Let's just say that uh, it were possible to accelerate your molecular structure until the rest of the world seemed as if it were standing still. Hyper time. Whoa. What if you had the power... Hey, Francesca! No. Way. ...to stop the clock. Ah! How did you do that? I have no idea. I just pushed this button. So, your watch stops time? No. Look, it's moving. I don't think time has stopped. I think we're just moving really fast. This opens in a courtroom, which is clearly modelled after the court scene in the Menagerie. Yes, of course. Uh, yes, the where, frame. yeah, you have everyone turning up in like the pike kind of robotic yes. chair. So the framing device for this episode is this tribunal court martial because they've been captured by good old Zap Brannigan and Kiff. Uh, which is where Fry starts to relate the tale. You stand accused of travelling to the forbidden planet Omega-3, a crime punishable by 12 concurrent death sentences. Do you understand the charges? One beep for yes, two beeps for no. Yes, so noted. 
Do you plead guilty? Double yes. Guilty. I will now carry out the sentence. Kiff, my gun. Wait! He pled not guilty. Order! Order in the court. Very well then, Mr. Fry. Please recount the events that led you to be guilty. Zach Brannigan is not played by Phil Hartman, is he? Yes, no, he was, was going to be, and then it's Billy West who does Fry and Professor's. And he's doing like an impression of Phil Hartman. Mm-hmm. A very good one. Yeah, very good. I mean, to the point that I always thought it was Phil Hartman, and like, literally thought maybe someone takes over from him later on after he died. But the fact that it was never Phil Hartman yeah, yeah. is really shocking. Yeah, like, because he is he's brilliant. Like, yeah, absolutely. It's weird <laughs> because they retired, like, the Phil Hartman roles in Simpsons. Yeah. Which is sad to think, like, some of the most iconic Simpsons characters, like, literally were only in the first seven seasons. Lionel Hutz and Troy McClure. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how you know you're watching classic Simpsons. Yeah. If those guys are in there. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Bleeding Girls Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's this thing of, like, yeah, Zach Brannigan was designed to be a tribute to him wasn't yeah. it and so like yeah and it, you know totally, it feels like it is Phil Hartman back back from beyond the grave yeah doing his role like, uh, like yeah it's, but you could totally imagine Phil Hartman Jake doing all it. the ways Phil Hartman like, yeah of, what, Phil. what a classic Merry Christmas Langston residence hi I Ted Howard hey buddy how's it going out there everything okay yeah fine uh, Ted I need to speak to Liz uh, could you get mm. oh Howard, excuse me, but your wife's cookies are out of this world. What a... Who told you you can eat my cookies? I'm just helping Liz out a little in the kitchen. She's making up a storm here. Ted, I need to speak to my wife. So could you get her on the phone, please? I think she's in the shower, Howard. Do you want me to go check? No! I mean, no, that's fine. On your way out... Just tell her it would be a few minutes late, but you shouldn't worry. Oh, she won't worry. I mean, I'm here and... Mm. Oh, these cookies! I gotta get the recipe from Les. Put that cookie down! Now! Hartman, you lads. Brannigan's so funny here when, you know, when they were able to tell of how Star Trek got banned. Thus, Star Trek was forever scoured from human memory. Another classic science fiction show cancelled before its time. I've never heard of such a brutal and shocking injustice that I cared so little about. Next witness! And, uh, yeah, at the beginning here, Bender is tapping his cigar into Nimoy's bowl. <laughs> and, like, Nimoy looks really annoyed about it. That's hilarious. And, but it, it's funny watching this again, because I, I haven't seen Futurama in years. It just reminds me how fucking hilarious Bender is, like, all the time. Like, <laughs> it's okay, a brilliant yeah. uh, extra. I mean, again, this is amazing recall for, like, extras on a DVD I haven't watched in 18 years. But, like, where John DiMaggio breaks down the combination of accents he puts into the Bender. Mm. and Slim Pickens is amongst them. He's an amazing Slim Pickens uh, as one of the kind of con- yeah, con- ingredients, ingredients going in. into that like eventual Bender episode. It's great. What really makes me laugh is back in the day, I always got confused and thought that Bender was done by the Karate Kid. Well, Ralph Macchio. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, for some reason, I was just like, wow, it's amazing. The Karate Kid can now do the voice of Bender. Future Armor. Yeah, a rough childhood. But um, yeah, I mean, this is, they do the Future Armor. Not only the thing of bringing the chair, but also the flashbacks yeah. is very much well, playing I think on it's our good show. That it's also, I mean, the, the Church of Trek shots where you see like the Trek symbol mm. as part of the thing. It, it it basically shows how close this. In an alternate reality, this is Scientology. And I think there's like a, there's a well, well story about like Gene Roddenberry being kind of a, 
you know, annoyed that, like, his Star Trek didn't, like, take on Scientology, like, you know, people who got that way, because it would be it would be better sci-fi, basically. Yeah. It would have been better writing that it was based on. It's like, you can't believe that Scientology got all this money and all this, like, influence when Star Trek's better material than Aaron Ron Hubbard could ever come up with. <laughs> but it just, it, but in its own way, Star Trek is a religion to a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and also, you know, a set of rules to live by and, and you know, really kind of, like, it's got very good, strong moral centre. Well, yeah, so, well, Fry says there's a really good bit where, even though it's surrounded by gags, it's a really quite yeah. earnest summation of what Star Trek is to people when Leela says like you know what why do you you know care about this thing and Fry says the world needs Star Trek to give people hope for the future and she says but it's set 800 years in the past <laughs> and he's like yeah yeah but it taught me so much like how you should accept people whether they be black white Klingon or even female <laughs> um, <but> most importantly <laughs> when I had no friends it made me feel like maybe I did she's like well that is touchingly pathetic I guess you can't go alone yeah <laughs> <laughs> and now, what do we feel about the line? Uh, Seventy-nine episodes, about thirty good ones. Now. I think it's very true. <laughs> you think it's true? I think. Well, you've I, watched, I, I mean, you've watched all the original watched series. But no, I, look, I think I think we take thirty great ones. Yeah. There's a lot of good ones. There's more good ones yeah. than I expected, and there's like fifteen, like not very very good ones at all mm-hmm. like when it when it's bad it's bad yeah but like what what i got from the futurama line and it for years it did color my whole idea of what the original series had in store for me was that it would be like there are like 13 like gold solid gold episodes and the rest is kind of like passable but actually what happened was when i watched that first season they, there are so many classics in there week after week yeah that you just can't believe the batting average of that first year and it's only when you kind of get into season three where they are, like, the track record really goes to pot. I mean, season two also has a lot of classics in it, but season three is the only one where it starts to get, the budgets are down. Mm. It's, you can quite clearly see they haven't got the ability to go on location or have the special effects. And it becomes like a recycling. There's less original material in that third season. It seems to be like, let's do some other ones we've done before, but worse. So I think this future episode like, had a lot to do with me putting it off for so long. And I'm glad I didn't in the end. Yeah. I've only watched it. And it's funny how much it does sort of predict the future. Because you know, when this came out, you know, fan culture, the way it's going, the way it is now, with rabid people and the nostalgia gripping everybody and the idea that people do get zealous about it and form a religion out of it. Star Trek is maybe, Star Trek and Star Wars maybe the two fandoms at the turn of the 21st century that could go that way if they weren't there already sort of thing. And of course you have Shatner going into space, which has now happened. <laughs> yeah, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, wow, it has actually happened now, yeah. Uh, did Nimoy actually do a one-man show about Vincent van Gogh? Is that a real thing? I think it probably was a thing, yeah. <laughs> I think it probably was, yeah. just because I'm like, I can't imagine. This seems a weird it's thing like a deep to make up. Thing to like yeah, 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 yeah. Hello, I'm Leonard Nimoy. For a number of years, I've been researching the life and the work of artist Vincent van Gogh. It's been a gratifying and at times a highly emotional experience. Vincent was an artistic genius, yet he received no recognition during his lifetime. His work was dismissed as that of a madman. He expressed these frustrations in over 500 soul-searching letters to his brother Theo, the one person who loved him and who tried to understand him. At age 37, Vincent died in Theo's arms. Theo was so overcome with grief that he was unable to speak at his brother's funeral. The setting for our play tonight was a lecture hall in Paris at the time late July 1890, about a week after Vincent's death. Theo has rented the hall, and he's invited artists, friends, anyone who will listen to him. His hope is that tonight, he'll be able to express himself. 
and to do justice to the memory and the reputation of his beloved brother, Vincent. Vincent Van Spock. I mean, go! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very, very funny. What was the one line that Jonathan Frakes gets? He's, he goes, yes, front row. <laughs> it's very, very funny. Like, yeah, I mean, because he's just there for one line. I mean, yeah. that's a great yeah. one line. Like, like, fucking hilarious. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the whole, because it was funny, it really reminds me, this episode does remind me of the USS Caster episode of Black mm. Mirror a lot. Yeah. In terms of, because it is actually very like a similar. Con- a controlling entity. Yeah, of essentially, um, what's it, Malvar yeah. in this, is essentially uh, Jesse Plemons' character in USS Caster. I've done enough conventions to know how to spell Melvar. Well, because essentially, <laughs> Jesse Plemons' character in USS Caster becomes a godlike figure because he has control yeah. of the kind of thing so uh, over the rest of them so, and he is uh, making them enact his play his what? script essentially so he's very similar who is play Melvar? just a lot of Everyone IMDb uh, yeah keep talking I got it well I, I, I was going to say the reason why I ask it about Melvar because like his line readings are some of the funniest things in this show <laughs> yes, I so. think nothing beats it is adulation of Shatner when he does the spoken word version of Shim Shady. <laughs> How does someone to give a spoken word version of a rap song? He found a way. <laughs> like, and that, that reading is amazing. So oh, like, of course it's Maurice LaMarche. Maurice LaMarche? Yeah. Oh, oh is he the guy who does the Orson Welles? Yes. Oh, of course He's, he's also Kiff as well. So you can hear... Oh, uh, is he Kiff as well? Like, oh, what a guy. Yeah, I remember his hilarious Orson Welles. Yes, I think and, uh, James Bonding, I've actually seen a service on their second version of it. He comes on and does that movie, and but also uh, does some Orson Welles meeting Ian Fleming, I think. Yeah, uh, which the, is one of the greatest uh, podcasts you've ever heard. The three real, like, unsung, well, not unsung voice actors of Futurama outside the main cast are Maurice LaMarche, who does everyone from there, Kiff and Morbo. And, and also folks who play Brain in Pinky yep. Brain. And you've got Tres McNeil. She's Melvar's mum in this. Right. She does tons of stuff about the show, including Marma as well. And, of course, David Herman, who does so many, so many good parts. Oh, my God. And he is in this as well, she. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very funny. I mean, for people who aren't used to Futurama, who don't watch as much of it, who may have only dipped into this episode because of the Star Trek connections... Um, I point this out when we were watching. I was really surprised how most of the regular cast don't actually appear in this. You basically have Bender, Leela, and Fry. Zoidberg appears for like five seconds at the video shop, but in general, Zoidberg, Dr. Farnsworth, mm-hmm. Amy, Hermes, none of them basically appear properly, which seems who are the rest of the regulars. It yeah. seems we're almost like they thought, oh, we don't have room for them. Like in this episode, because right. we got the whole original series cast, it, which is almost a shame because I can kind of imagine like Farnsworth interacting with the original series <laughs> cast being quite funny. But yeah, I think they must have just thought we just don't have the room for them. And you pointed out that, of course, the final line of the episode, let's get the hell out of here, is a reprise oh, of yeah, Shatner's Fire yeah. Level in the City on the Edge of Forever. Mm. It's interesting you say about the rest of the main cast not being in it. This oh, is the okay. first episode in which the professor is not in. Well, there you go. I mean, that kind of proves my point. Yeah. Especially as it was written by a guy who only wrote one episode of Futurama. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was probably coming from a perspective of, like, this is the Star Trek episode of Futurama. And that's what I'm concentrating on and everything else can go to pot. Yeah. Like, yeah, as like, someone uh, who has seen all the original series, Paul, could you name the two energy beings that Melvar's basically based on? 
It's the one that sort of like hovers around and turns into the person in a white robe. Or maybe. So IMDb Trivia has it down as Trelane. Yeah. A child who becomes obsessed with an element of human history and believed to be an adult by the protagonist for most of the episode. Oh, uh, right. So that might be the one that's sort of playing like a piano, like at loads of times. Uh-huh. Like they're in like a French Revolution drawing. Right, model. right. And uh, The Companion. A shimmering cloud-like being. Well, that's a funny reveal, isn't it? Because the whole thing of going like, oh, he's just a child. And then yeah. the mum's like, no, he's not. He's not he's a child. He's <laughs> Yeah, very funny. <laughs> we get giant green hand from Melva, which yes. is the Humans for Adonis nod. We yeah. do, we do. One of Paul's favourites. Oh, I loved it. Okay. Love it. <laughs> uh, I also love the quit, the, the bit we get, Chatley gets to say card again. Like, yeah. uh, you know, oh, the trivia question. <laughs> yes, that's all very funny. I like the fact that the Futura crew essentially abandoned them and then kind of come back. And also the thing, I think it's a funny, interesting joke of the idea, this is kind of almost slightly galaxy questy, of Fry, Bender and Leela are actually the real space adventurers here. Yeah. Whereas the other guys are just actors and it's kind of like, you know, Malvira ends up comparing them. Particularly. Yeah. And that's kind of, yeah, feels quite Galaxy Quest. We also get Shatner's log, which is very funny. And him uh, just making a little tear in his shirt as soon as they have to fight. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I also yeah. love, I think it was one of those things that just sort of hadn't really occurred to me as a young viewer. Like, so it'd be happening time and time again in Star Trek in all its iterations is that they have a Long scientific explanation of what it is, and then an analogy in the next it. Like, putting too much air in a balloon. And then I won't watch Star Trek. I can never not get that Futurama re- you know, reference out of my head. Whenever Jordan, basically, <laughs> any line ever said by Jordan LaForge is now the, you know, the complex thing. And then he'll have to kind of basically say it again in English for them, for the audience. And put it in another way. And that's exactly what they do in this, this episode. And they, they, they're so on yeah. point with that observation. So it goes, yeah, usually on the show they came up with a complicated plan and explained it with a simple analogy. Hmm, if we can reroute engine power through the primary weapons and configure them to Melvar's frequency, that should overload his electro-quantum structure. Like putting too much air into a balloon! <laughs> of course, it's all so simple. <laughs> and of course they get the call back later on, the leader's like, it's not working, he's gaining strength from our weapons! And Fry's like, like a balloon and something bad happens! It's <laughs> <laughs> just sticking with the balloon thing rather than the analogy <laughs> So, let's move around the table to final thoughts on this episode. Paul? Oh, it's, it's great fun. I love this episode. I've... Uh, it, it got me to watch Futurama, and I'm glad it did because there's so much there's there's gold in those hills. Yeah, those four four seasons. I think I had, I think I've spent a little time seeing one of the post four seasons, and uh, mm. the magic is is somewhat diminished. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think you know people could do worse than just digging out Futurama. It's not the uh, distant cousin of Simpsons or the le- you know the ugly stepchild or whatever it is. It's it's its own thing. It's really funny in its own right. And uh, yeah, I think it, it unfavorable comparisons because Sim- Simpsons was not quite knocked off its pedestal at the time Futurama aired. I think so. Is it the case that actually Futurama hastened Simpsons' slump because it kind of took over some of the best writers? That's possible, I guess. Like because it literally is. If you, if you think about it, Futurama started. In 1999, yeah. that is that that is the end. That is the yeah, basically the the, that is pretty much the end of the Simpsons Golden Era. It's the beginning of season nine or ten. Aren't yeah, it? so it's the beginning of the end for Simpsons. So it's possible. Well, yeah, that's I remember. What happened. I remember always saying that when Futurama aired, the uh, Simpsons should have just stopped because it would have stopped pretty much at the end of it being good. And then yeah. Futurama carried on. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. and then Futurama should have stopped. Yeah. allowed them to because, of course, for years I remember Matt Groening 
kept banging on about his third project, our Future Armour, was going to be about like a rock band in like the 70s or something like that, mm-hmm. which sounded completely different again and interesting, but that never happened. And now, literally within the last few years, he's done Disenchantment on Netflix, which is good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I haven't done the third season yet, but I've done the first two. And it is a really good show. Again, quite different. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, John DiMaggio's King Zog is just... Yeah, who's and Matt Berry is the big. Yeah. <laughs> which, kind of, which shows he's kind of still got... He's still capable of doing something mm-hmm. decent. And you're kind of like, yeah, why didn't you just concentrate on one of these things every time? But it said Simpsons is still going, even now. It's on its like 30th fucking season or something. Yeah. It's just like... The fuck? And with Futurama, like it came back with those those four movies, yeah, which were then all, split all into shit. parts, and it technically counts as it, the fifth season. Uh, and then the rest of development season four. Yeah, it does a bit. Yeah, and then out of the later seasons, when it moved to Comedy Central, there are some great ones in there. Overall, the quality is not up to the first four, but again, because the original series finale, The Devil's Hands Have Idle Playthings, is one of the shows. Oh, fantastic, best. yeah. And then the actual finale, so the last episode of it entirely at the end of the new run meanwhile is really really good as well so they always end every time they had a an ending they knocked it out of the park it's yeah. just like well that's good because if you had a perfect ending brought it back at shit and then ended shit you'd be like ah <laughs> but yeah those first those first four seasons you just can't you can't fold it I'd, I'd implore everyone to just you, binge those so I've, I've, I've said my piece I've said like yeah I love this but like Matt like as the future expert is there like a viewing program that you've described to anybody wanting to begin their future well it, it's tricky because I would say so Futurama's got a weird thing where there basically exists two separate episode lists because there's the production order order, which is what it came out on on DVD, and that's the order that the episodes were made, and that's the proper first four seasons. But then when it came to airing in TV in the States on Fox, they just fucked around with it. And so it there's a five-season airing order where stuff's mixed around... Um, which is how it shows up on things like Disney Plus, yeah, so, which have it. In the yeah, so that weird airing order, we've never really had to worry about, because I think when it aired over here, it came out properly, and then the DVDs were how it should be. And now that it's appearing on streamers and it's on Disney Plus, yeah, it's showing it as the airing order, which is where it splits out across more seasons, and it's it's a weird thing. Well, so yeah, and season six becomes like those four like yeah. straight-to-video so, I mean, movies. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially, it doesn't really matter... Because um, there's no, you know, through lines really um, in those first few. So you could watch seasons one to five on Disney Plus, and that's the core first four seasons. Um, but if you've got, you know, crack out those DVDs, if you got it that way around. Yeah, I mean, production order is what fucking matters, isn't it? And those first four as the actual production order are. And it does it, like, it has a re- it has resolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say the fin- it has because the original finale at the end of what I say is an ending. You can watch that as an ending. Yeah. The and then, or presumably, you can watch the one they ended up with as an ending. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. like, you know. Um, but yeah, this is definitely a real highlight, and it's funny how you said this made you watch Futurama. Like in a weird way, this made me watch Star Trek because <laughs> I would have been coming into this without the Star Trek fandom, but knowing of it through pop culture, and so I think a lot of my early understanding of what Star Trek was was from this one episode probably because it hits so many of the the classic tropes and cliches around the original series and hearing all the original cast together this probably would have been it it was funny watching this episode again I was like it's still a really good episode really funny really great episode of TV but actually as someone who watched those first four seasons of Future Armour and really enjoyed them I was like oh you know what it's really good because 
this episode, I don't think it represents like the best of Futurama at all. I think it's a really good episode. But actually, I'm like, yeah, yeah. you haven't got a lot of the main characters in this. And actually, a lot of the stuff that makes Futurama Futurama isn't there. And it's a great episode of TV. But actually, there's better episodes of Futurama to be had. So, like, you know, yeah. anyone who's looking to kind of, like, explore more should. Yeah, yeah. I'd say, you know, some of the best and funniest ones out there is uh, Mars University from the first season. Is oh, just, is that Robot? Yeah. Oh, oh <laughs> You've got Problem of Poplars in season two, War is the H word and the honking. The honking being, like, the Christine. Where, where What's car? the one with the gangster robots? The clams! The clams! <laughs> Uh, they pop up a lot, but yeah, Dave the Earth stood stupid with the brains. Jurassic Bark. Jurassic Bark, oh my god. Most tragic. I cannot watch that again. The Roswell episode, yeah, Godfellas is with the robot mafia. <laughs> the Roswell was the one they captured. Yes, Zoyberg. yes. Yeah, a buffet, if only I brought my wallet. <laughs> it's free. <laughs> uh, Crimes of the Hot, trying to tackle uh, global warming, which is probably more prescient now. And then, yeah, right towards the end, the Farnsworth power box. Then one night, when Fry asked me out, the only excuse I could think of involved ghosts. I knew he wouldn't buy it, so I did what I always do in those situations. Oh, Lord. I flipped a coin. It came up heads, and we went out. You mean you flipped a coin, too? And it was tails? So that's why you said you had to meet that ghost. 300 big boys, which is just a very... Ultimately, they get the tax rebate of 300 bucks and they all decide what to spend on. And Fry just tries to buy, like, as much coffee as he can and goes insane. i got to say, I remember watching those seasons. And season one, I think, is really good, but finding its feet. And then season two, three, and four, I just remember basically being pretty much wall to wall gone. The two that you could argue, like, transcend it being a TV show and it's just like, this is a masterpiece of writing and entertainment is Jurassic Bark and Lucko yes. Fryerish, because they're the two that hit so hard emotionally. Jurassic Bark, I dog. think, for anyone who's seen it, yeah. will know what we're talking Possibly about. Possibly the, great, the greatest final scene of anything. Insanely um, tragic. I and, watch yeah. it again now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like, even I can feel my heart breaking like talking about it. And that yeah. song that played... Oh, my God. But yeah, probably my favourite episode in terms of just, like, War to all funnies is War is the H-Word, which is a big Zep Brannigan-focused one, which is incredible. I'm afraid he's gone. Whoa, Doc, I ain't dead. Excuse me, I believe I'm the doctor. So there you go, some <laughs> big, huge arm recommendations for you there. Yeah. Uh, certainly in the UK, it's all available on Disney+. Plus. I don't know if that traverses over to America. I can't presume so. I suppose it might be on Hulu over there, maybe, instead. Uh, oh, oh one yeah. other bit of trivia about this episode, which is really random is that the script for this episode was nominated for the Best Script Award at the Nebula Awards oh, yeah. in 2004, whereas up against Minority Report, Spirit of the Way, Finding Nemo, and Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, which won. <laughs> so four huge movies and then an episode of a TV show. And I looked through it some of the previous uh, years of this, and it, it went like that for quite a while, where there's like, there'd be a random, there'd be a few movies, and then like an episode of Battlestar, or an episode of Buffy. Yeah. And I think Did it, the TV ever win? I, don't, I, don't so. <laughs> I mean, personally... That award got discontinued in, like, 2009. This so is better than two towers for me. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, like I think when Fry wakes up from his frozen, he's got... They look at the money he's got in his bank account. It's mm. been, like, a thousand years. Yes, that's... Been there. How much has he got? Like, that's a fish full of dollars from season one where he's got, like, something trillion dollars or because something. Because the interest, I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's actually worth nothing because of inflation. Is that right? No, like, no, he blows it all on, on buying the last can of anchovies that exists. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I remember in the first one, because <laughs> uh, this is a the first one's really dark, isn't it? The, f the first one's got a suicide booth in it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, when it started, it's very solid green. I think it was pitched as more adult 
than The Simpsons when it started, and then kind yeah, of yeah. The first you time know. you ever see Ben on screen, he's queuing up for the suicide booth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was meant to be a like for for older viewers show, and then kind of went back a little bit uh but yeah fucking fantastic stuff get on future armor if you haven't seen it. if you've always thought oh this is the lesser custom of the simpsons like you know you've got four fantastic seasons of tv <laughs> to enjoy matt Sorry. i mean you can <laughs> literally really, hear yeah. matt that, laughing yeah, over quotes leela like pretends to be a male soldier to get into the the war effort and seth Bradigan's like that young man fills me with hope plus some other emotions which are weird and deeply confusing <laughs> So that's in his happy place. Uh, yeah, oh, I, I gotta watch this one again. Yeah, that has been. We, we're go off to start our future armor rewatches. <laughs> yeah. Going like uh, so. Until next time, you can find us at Spotlight Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also call. <laughs> Matt's just laughing. Kip wears my little umbrella. That's what makes it a scotch on the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Uh, but I've enjoyed this. Thank you for joining us. Yes, yeah. thank you all. Yeah, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this. I can't wait to another on-screen episode. We really wanted to get back to this because I'm really enjoying this kind of deep dive into other iconic TV shows which featured members of Star Trek alumni kind of coming into these guest roles because, you know, I think what's really interesting is getting these kind of iconic Star Trek figures kind of popping up using their kind of Trek cred to appear on other shows and that's that can, you know, have some really interesting stuff. But until next time, Shatner's log out. Let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> now. We have a full schedule of events. Ah, uh, can people who hate Star Trek leave? Good question. No, you have to stay even longer. Ow. Ow. Hey there, Spotlighters. Just beaming in the end of this episode to let you know all about Ambush, a Star Trek fan production out now and available to watch on YouTube. Ambush is a brand new unofficial fan film written and directed by previous Spotlight guest Greg Locke, who joined us for our Final Frontier, Nemesis and Enterprise episodes. Ambush introduces a new ship and crew into the Star Trek universe and is set just after the events of original series episode Balance of Terror. It focuses on a single away mission to rescue a Starfleet commander who's been captured by the Romulans. It's an action-packed adventure featuring many previous Spotlight guests in front of and behind the camera, including Stephen and David Chumble, Thomas Savile, and even yours truly. We'll be releasing a special bonus episode soon featuring behind-the-scenes interviews with some of the cast and crew. But until then, here's a sneak peek. Do you have children? I had children. Have you ever seen a child's face light up when they find a new game? When a child finds a good game, they have to play it. It's in their nature. They stumble. They fall. They improvise. <laughs>